introductions can sometimes be difficult. And this is definitely going to be difficult. <laughs> so uh, this podcast is comes from our uh, shared love of movies and also talking about movies. And re-watching movies and introducing each other to new movies that we may not have seen or missed. Yeah, because there's a lot of movies that, that I've seen that Hamza hasn't seen and vice versa. And by him, he means Luke. So it's Luke and Hamza. And we'll be joined by a guest each week. That's an intro, right? I think so, yeah. Seems like it. If you put it at the beginning, then by default it's an intro. There we go. Cut it. Pretty. So we're recording. Uh, yeah, hello, good, good day, good evening, good afternoon, good morning, good every time. <laughs> Whatever time you're listening to this podcast, wanna watches? And welcome back. I'm joined as always by my co-host Hamza Mosin. Yippee! You enjoying the snow, Hamza? Oh yeah, I'm. I'm going snowboarding and. Having cups of cocoa, hot cocoa, whatever white people do on the snow. I'm doing that. Good. Co-host banter over. And <laughs> joined by our uh, special guest, another very special guest today, Hannah. Are you Hannah the Coco? Sometimes. Yeah. I'm actually, I'm Hannah Winter. This is, Winter. it's my time. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's a good. That's a good segue there. So uh, Hannah Winter, we met in the Spy Monkey uh, clowning course, like a lot of other class members in that have been on this podcast. Um, so who who are you? What do you do? I am. I am a human woman, and <laughs> I do. I do a bit of performing, a bit of physical theatre, a bit of. Uh, collaborative devised work a bit of solo a bit of clowning i work with clowns without borders sometimes sometimes i direct things sometimes i give workshops basically i'll do anything that you pay me to do as long as it involves theater that's, that's not cool. true but <laughs> something like <laughs> you take it all back and and clowns without borders that is where um like i think people might have seen because i've seen stuff about that on facebook it's where people you know the organization goes to like refugee camps or places you know countries of um and kind of like does does shows for kids and adults that's right um so it's a international organization which has chapters i think in over 150 different countries and the different chapters in different countries will do different things. But the UK chapter, we mostly get together groups of clowns and we either will go on tour to a refugee camp and do shows mostly for children. I mean, for the benefit of children who are living in the camps. And then sometimes we'll do psychosocial support workshops. So that can be for people who are working with children living in refugee camps 
or directly for kids themselves. And the point of why we do this is to spread joy and laughter and to try and, and help kids who are living in refugee camps have access to a childhood which, which has laughter and joy in it. So yeah, that's what they do. And it's a really, it's just a really lovely charity to be involved with, to spread laughter. Yeah, sounds great. I feel like you need laughter. It's fundamental for your mental health and also to grow as well. So yeah, super important to do. Yeah. And I think spreading joy, I think that links into the film that we're going to cover today, which is oh, the yeah. full title, which nobody ever says, is The Adventures of Buckaroo Bonsai Across the Eighth Dimension. Most people call it Buckaroo Bonsai because that's yeah. shorter. Um, and so a short synopsis for people that haven't seen it. And we're going to be talking spoilers in this podcast. So go and watch. And I definitely recommend going and watching this without knowing anything about it if you don't know anything about it. It, Buckaroo Bonsai is it's a 1984 American science fiction film. Uh, it's produced and directed by W.D. Richter, and it's written by Earl Mac Rourke, who's a, a novelist. And um, it stars, well, it has an amazing cast. It stars Peter Weller as Buckaroo Bonsai. You've got Ellen Barkin, John Lithgow, Jeff Goldblum, Christopher Lloyd. You've got Clancy Brown in there, people probably known best as the Kurgan from Highlander. Uh, Vincent Chiavelli, who's been in loads of things. I remember him mostly as the the ghost in Ghost with Patrick Swayze. He's the ghost on the subway that teaches him how to how to push stuff around. And I think he was in the X-Files as well. And there's, I mean, yeah, there's loads more. But the basic plot is Dr. Buckaroo Bonsai is a physicist, neurosurgeon, test pilot and rock star and he has to save the world by defeating a band of interdimensional aliens called Red Electroids. And that, I mean, it's a quite a complicated plot to go into, but that's basically it's a you know sci-fi adventure. Um, and that's that's what an adventure. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's <laughs> it's a very unique film, and like if you don't know why and you haven't seen it, you'll probably find out from as we talk about it. So, um, so this is my second watch. Um, this is a film that I'd known about for a very long time. Um, and I watched it, I think I watched it like in my mid thirties. And then this was a chance to watch it again. And I think for Hamza and Hannah, this is, uh, your first watch for both of you, isn't it? Very much so. Yep. And so before watching it, what did you know about it? I knew that the title sounded like a lot of fun, but you actually introduced it to me also just as Buckaroo Banzai. You didn't give me the full title, <laughs> which might give away some key essential information. Um, but the title sounded so fun. So I was, I was kind of, I just thought I'm in. Cool. How about you, Hamza? I literally knew nothing. I thought maybe... It had maybe Takeshi Kitano was going to be in it but for some reason, maybe because of Takeshi's castle and the word bonsai. I don't know. I had no idea. Um, so, yeah, I knew nothing and I made sure because I'm a bit of a film nerd. So it's rare for me to not know anything about something before I watch it. So I made sure I didn't know anything before I delved in. 
Yeah, and so for me, I knew about this. This is a one of those like cult films that I'd heard about, and it was I think it was in Dragon Magazine, which was a magazine about Dungeons and Dragons. And I think in one of the editorials, someone mentioned it as a good example of of an adventuring party where you have all these different characters coming together. And then, so I I knew about it for years and years, and then just one day decided to actually sit down and watch it. Um, and so, yeah, I I I enjoyed this a huge amount on a second watch, which was pleasantly surprising. Um, and Hamza, what did you think about it? So I so. It was interesting. Um, so I just saw a lot of random shit being thrown against the wall. And I was like, I'm not sure. Like, I'm enjoying it. I love Peter Weller because, you know, I grew up watching Robocop. So Peter Weller is like any excuse to look at his beautiful face on screen. But I wasn't sure. And then I think it was, it genuinely was when Jeff Goldblum says, what's that watermelon doing there and the guy's like oh my god. And, and the guy's like i'll explain later and you know for a fact that they're never going to explain it and th- that was the moment where i went i love this film and then it was yeah. crystallized for me it was the the, the that was the, that's my favorite moment of the whole film and like i think it's genius right and then the other moment was when he walks into this thing to go see his girl and the guy's like, oh, the president's on the phone. And then he's like, um, I forget the exact line, but he has an amazing line where he's like, um, say yes to the first one and no to the second one. And it was, yeah, just, yeah. I, I think as I was watching it, I wasn't sure. I was like, I'm watching it. This is cool. But this is there's a lot of stuff being thrown at. And I think this is definitely going to be one of those films that, I'm going to be watching quite a lot. Um, and I'll, I'll just be straight with you also. Um, I had the vibe that this would be a film to watch Stone. So I did get quite stoned when I watched it. So, and I think that was the right choice, definitely, because yeah, mm. it was a blast. It was very fun. Yeah. Nice. How about you, Hannah? Yeah. Uh, so, so many things. But I think, I think when I started it, you know, in the beginning, they have that sort of Star Wars style um, rolling text. And it just sort of describes Buckaroo Banzai and sets him up and says that he just travels through space and he studies martial arts and science and does his music. And I, I, I just remember kind of sitting there thinking, yep, martial arts, science and music. Here we go. <laughs> you know, like this is one of those crazy 1980s experiment there's no control and then very shortly afterwards um he discovers he's working with jeff goldblum on something and they're having this like really advanced scientific banter where jeff goldblum has a monologue where he doesn't take a breath for approximately four straight minutes he just says scientific terms and then whatever, they solve the equation, they create the overthruster, or it's kind of central to the plot of the film. Um, and then Buckaroo Bonsai goes, you know, we've got an opening. Do you want to join? Do you want to join? What are they called? The cat, the Cavaliers? The Hong Kong Cavaliers. Yeah, the Hong Kong Cavaliers. Um, and he's like, do you want to, Buckaroo Bonsai asks Jeff Goldblum, I forget the character's name. He says, do you want to join us? And Jeff Goldblum's character, well, he says, 
yeah, of course I do. And then Buckaroo Bonsai says, can you sing? And he says, the response is, a little. I can dance. <laughs> and I, that, that's the point at which I was like, okay, just suspend reality. This is going to be great. It's 1980s, like anything goes. Just wear a lot of poofy, colorful clothing. It's going to be crazy. Nothing will make sense. I'm on board. I'm on board. He can dance. Scientists that dance. Why not? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's just so fun. And John Lithgow in it, for me, was like such a highlight. I mean, he just was so, he was evil in this really fun, silly way that he was probably my favorite character. I liked him more than anyone else in the film. He just, every time he came on screen, I was like, yes, yes. You be ridiculous, John Lithgow. I've never seen him like that with the with the terrible accent that pretty much changed from scene to scene, but it kind of made me like his character more. Um, yeah, and just lots of really ridiculous, you know, knocking two people's heads together, and you can you can see that their heads never touched, and there's this like coconut clonk kind of sound. And you just know what universe you're in. You know you're in a 1980s, not very serious kind of action, adventure, comedy, save the universe. And it's not like a mega budget film. It's just fun, fun, friendly film. Um, and I actually really loved as well that there's sort of towards the second half of the film where you start seeing, oh, given it away now, but the aliens and the inside of their spaceship and, and all of this kind of stuff, the costumes and the set design, I just kept thinking it's like you're at a festival, you know, where it's not quite yeah, yeah. the photo realistic, yeah, the world of film today. But like if you went to a really high-end festival, they would really invest a lot in what stuff looks like. They couldn't make it too realistic because people get drunk and break it. And um and I remember just watching it and thinking, oh, I remember going to festivals. <laughs> so much fun. Yeah, I think yeah, fun is really, really fun. The, is the word that describes this film. And there is, I mean, the behind the scenes of it is quite interesting because the like the producer and the writer, they, they became friends. And um, so the writer, um, Richter's wife read a review of a book that, um, Earl Mac Roach wrote, which was called Dirty Pictures from the Prom, and then recommended it and said they, you know, he should make, he should write a movie, they should make a film together. And then sort of, mm. so they became friends. And then, it, but it was only years later when that it actually happened. But it took, like, he wrote loads of, loads of treatments. Like, he's uh, the original 30 page treatment was called Find the Jet Car, said the president, a Buckaroo Bonsai thriller. And then like another early draft was called The Strange Case of Mr. Cigars. And then the um, he wrote a 60-page treatment called Lepers from Saturn, which the lepers turned into lectroids. Was this based on something else? Because I remember at one point in the film, they reference um, the War of the Worlds and the fake radio TV program they had that, yeah. that everyone thought was real, the aliens were landing. Yeah, that was great. Is it is it based on anything or is it completely invented this story? No, it's like it, yeah, basically it's completely invented. It's made from 
all like you know the kind of the kung fu movies of the 70s and that crap where that you know they throw everything in the kitchen sinking but apparently he wrote like about a dozen scripts and he sort of he threw all you know he would throw hundreds of these ideas into them and then he would forget about it and he would restart and that's why all of the characters like the hong kong cavaliers they've got all these little details about them which (laughs) he picked from all these old scripts because what he did is when they kind of got to the final film he had uh, the writer had 300 pages of this like bible called the essential buckaroo and that kind of had all of the information that he'd written in these like dozen half finished scripts and so that's why there's so much in it because it's like he wrote 12 different films and then you know that he never finished and then just sort of pulled them apart and then jammed them together to make this film which is and it is like such a you know there's like the they've got a comic book about buckaroo bonsai and the thing and the the reason the aliens are searching for buckaroo bonsai to help them the good aliens is because they've read the buckaroo bonsai comic book which is hilarious of course of course as they do in outer space they love our comic books they of course yeah and the, makes total the, sense and the thing about the watermelon which i find so funny because that is I, I mean that is a really the um the behind, it kind of it's so interesting how that sort of mirrors the behind the scenes because you know they had to go through development and kind of get a deal with the with like a with a studio and then like there were in 1981 there was a writers guild of america strike so apparently that sort of you know uh made it sort of a languish in development hell for quite a while as well and then i think they eventually went to 20th century fox who agreed to make it um but the but the guy that um like the the guy who was kind of like working on it beagleman sort of like he it turned into quite a fractious relationship because he was like constantly interfering and demanding changes and sending notes and then the crew were you know like it was you know like i don't know if he was trying to make it more mainstream or whatever but it just kept on going but then by the end of uh, filming they were like he was sending less and less notes, so they became convinced that the that Beagleman had just like you know given up basically. So that's why they added the watermelon scene. So they put that in, and then you know they send in the rushes. And when there was no you know he didn't send the question back, going like why is there a watermelon here? They knew that he wasn't paying any more attention, and they could do whatever they wanted. So that, oh that is actually the reason the watermelon is there. I mean. That changes nothing as to the genius. <laughs> I mean, it's sheer genius. I love that. How many inside jokes can you get away with that will still entertain the audience as well? Mm. Yeah, because it's funny. And it's the bit the bit where I like really tuned into it is so, I mean, it's just really funny from the beginning that Buckaroo Bonsai is doing brain surgery with Jeff Goldblum. And that's why he's late for his test uh to his for his test drive of this car that can drive through drive through mountains but and then after that he does that and it you know he's super cool and he's cool and collected even though the car nearly blows up and then he's on stage with his rock band performing in a nightclub it's like he does everything but the bit the joke that i love is where it's um ellen barkin is crying in the audience and he's like Buckaroo Bonsai singing and performing and then he goes wait someone's crying it's like he can hear someone's not having fun and then but where she goes to um he's like trying to cheer her up and they carry on singing and then she gets a gun out and then like tr- goes to shoot herself in the head and it's like such 
black comedy but also really dry as well that from that joke i thought like yeah like i literally have no idea what is going to happen next in this film so it's going to be entertaining i I loved how um jeff goldblum is like i think other than like that he did like a cameo in death wish i've never seen him in anything earlier than this and he's fully formed like he is basically jeff goldblum already like completely fully formed he's doing all his jeff goldblum shit Mm. in the best possible way and i really enjoyed every time he popped up i was like there he is doing his thing little young jeff goldblum baby face i don't know if you realize this but um after that surgery scene the next time we see jeff goldblum he's in a full no joke full cowboy outfit yeah bright red of course he is never changes cowboy outfit he keeps that outfit for the whole time, which is one of the genius things about this film. It's like, sure, why not? We'll put him in a cowboy outfit, rest of the film. It'll be I'm, great. I love when he insists on being called New Jersey, where like they're like, <laughs> this is Dr. Such and Such. And he's like, yeah, but they, they call me New Jersey. And then he just carries on walking, just trying to get in his cool nickname. Yeah, you can eat his code name. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking about names, like the thing that I love in this is like the aliens are all called John and it's like yeah. so, but, but it's, it's so, there's so many jokes. Like that's the thing where it's like, there's joke upon joke upon joke. So then you've got like Christopher Lloyd is playing an alien called John Big Booty. And then the, at the beginning, like John Lithgow gets on the phone and goes like, get me John Big Booty. And it's like, that's funny. It's just a stupid name. But then the fact that Christopher Lloyd insists his name is John, it's Big Booty like a hyacinth bouquet from <laughs> keeping up appearances yeah but it's like then it's another joke but then also there's a joke that all of the aliens are called john so they're like john john smallberries and john so-and-so and john it's like Bicure. but but it still keeps on going because you you realize okay so these aliens crash landed on earth and then you know they don't know anything different so they've all got fake social securities and they just created this fake company and they're all called John so-and-so. Of course, they've got stupid names. But then when the good aliens come down, they're all called John as well. Like even the woman who contacts them, she's called called John something. And it's like... Yeah, it's so silly. But I mean, in a way, there's so much going on in this film that at least there's one thing that you don't have to concentrate on because if he's called John, she's called John, they're an alien. Great simplifying it for the audience that's so true wow yeah that's i never really thought about that because i think i think a lot of people they would not enjoy this like i can see why it's a cult film because if you look at something like star wars it's got okay Mm -hmm. yeah the main character he's this young farm boy he's learning about the bigger world or you know indiana jones or james bond it's like all right so he's a cool dude he's doing stuff but in this it's just there's so much stuff going on and and it really asks a lot from the audience the fact that they don't explicitly tell you the whole deal about why they don't really go into the fact that ellen barkin why penny she actually looks like his his dead wife or how he lost his wife but it's like it just leaves it as that's in there and you can you can pick it up from watching it but it doesn't like hold your hand Mm, yeah but actually, I found that plot line, I mean, I don't want to say problematic, but it was also just so over the top. Um, right from the beginning, when they first meet, 
because I remember, so that scene where he says, you know, I can hear someone crying like over the music and the crowd. And then you don't know who it is. And he just goes, can we get our mic and a spotlight? Which is the last thing you want when you're crying. <laughs> it's just like, really? Is this how this relationship begins? And I found it sort of confusing that I thought, are they in this romantic relationship? He goes to visit her in prison. She's throwing her hands on the wall, like the most major drama and, and you know, I don't know, threatening to kill herself and stupidly fails. And it was kind of almost like a 1980s update of, you know, she's a damsel in distress. He's definitely going to save her. Mm. But at the same time, he also has a lot of self-will and is independent, but not quite. So I found it sort of like a strange subplot. And then also it confused me that he was married to her sister, but then he rescued her. And there was like a hint of romance there that I wasn't sure was maybe appropriate. But hey. I think I had just, just gone. Yeah, I think by that point, I was just rolling with it. I was like, all right. Yeah, they're going to kiss and then that's the end. Like, that's what's going to happen. And like, this guy's the coolest dude in the galaxy so much so that aliens have heard of him in other places. <laughs> and like, yeah, I think, to be honest with you, that scene I did, that was one of the scenes where I wasn't so into it. Like, it wasn't that I wasn't into it, but I just didn't buy it as much. Maybe because I didn't like the music that much. And... Um, at that point, it was like, where's, I need some flaws from this character. Like, you know, all my favorite, like, even though James Bond and Indiana Jones are like these badass characters, but they all have flaws, you know. Um, yeah. Like, when James Bond is talking to M, he's like a little schoolboy getting told off. And when uh, Indiana Jones is scared of snakes and stuff, and, you know, they, they have these flaws. Whereas at that point, Buckaroo Bonsai is just this god. And then he's like, and I found him a bit patronizing to the girl. And I, I think that was one of the scenes where I was like, I still wasn't totally bought in on it. And I can see where you're coming from with the kind of, uh, but I think pretty soon afterwards, I just kind of switched that part of my brain off. So then I didn't pick up on the rest of that relationship. I just went, oh, okay, this is just a throwaway thing. Like everything the else. The, the rest of the incredibly dense action-packed plot. Yeah. It's yeah. like, okay, guys, you don't like this thread? No problem. Here's 20 more. Here's a watermelon. Take <laughs> what you like. Here's a watermelon. <laughs> I mean, apparently there is, because um, they've made like books and they've made novels of it, but there is an in-universe reason for the watermelon to be there as well, if you want to know I, what I that really is. don't ever want to know. <laughs> like, I think that's a, a real shame if people have gone to do that. I think one of the great things of this film is the, the kind of weird throwaway shit. Like I also remember there's a bit where someone like is in front of a door and the aliens have written in their sort of pigeon English, like do do not enter secret. Mm. And it's just those little details that I think make this film a little bit special. Yeah. Um, just because there's all all these little things that are just constantly kind of just shown to you for a second or a concept is thrown at you for a second. And, you know, interdimensional aliens is like very fashionable right now because of DMT and um, some of the kind of far right also believe that the interdimensional aliens, there's a great rant from Alex Jones where he talks about interdimensional alien beings and how the CIA 
I like in contact with them, and that's you know, there's there's all kinds of stuff going on, um, theories and I stuff. Think, about. I think that's a really interesting thing to bring up because when I so when I was watching Buckaroo Banzai, um, there's a certain point at which they get threatened by these aliens, the bad aliens, the red aliens, that um, that they were going to bomb Smolensk and pretend yeah. to be the USA so that yeah, the yeah, USA yeah. would like potentially be self-destructing if they didn't help the red aliens. And I just remember thinking to myself, it's so interesting to see a film that's made during an active war, even if it was the Cold War, which wasn't so active, um, to have this concept that you've got enemies which are of another country, but then to kind of think of it in that in that context that you're talking about that nowadays interdimensional beings are something that are really popular that people are thinking about and talking about because for me obviously the way that they're presented in the film they're kind of I guess they seem sort of difficult to take seriously as a concept yeah yeah definitely because mm. they're kind of cartoony and you know John yeah. Lithgow's Italian accent kind of <laughs> throws you off wow. But like, I think now, you know, um, I mean, with the machi machine elves that Terence McKenna talks about, and, you know, there's a lot like Stargate is another show that had, had talked about interdimensionality or whatever you want to call it. And I think it's, it's actually always kind of coming in and out of fashion. But right now, watching this film, particularly that first sequence with his race car that drives into the mountain, mm. like that was basically a DMT trip. Bef like and I'm assuming DMT wasn't that well known about back then like it is now and um, it was like a bad DMT trip like I, I've read lots of trip reports about uh, bad DMT trips as well and like <laughs> the fact that they were all kind of grabbing at him and stuff and, and when John Lithgow goes in and it's horrific like how mm. they kind of um, yeah maybe, maybe don't watch this film if you're about to go do DMT Whereas, yeah, you'd be it's so confusing when you're sober, but I think I think it's definitely <laughs> of its time because you know it's yeah it's during the Cold War and yeah I think the the female character is like she's very like she's a complete stereotype. But the reason that it sort of I mean if it was made now I would enjoy it if it was a bit different. But every character is like a weird stereotype. Like perfect Tommy is just he's this guy that's perfect like that's his thing he's perfect and you go all right fair enough and or, well, he literally says that all right fair enough fair yeah enough. <laughs> yeah it's like good point do you, guys remember, do you remember the scene i think when they're imprisoned and they say he says hey perfect tommy let her out also give her your coat and he goes oh, yeah, yeah that's yeah because you're perfect and he's like yeah you're right sure <laughs> what yeah <laughs> And there's like that's that's what I think is the that's why it works for me overall because it's it has so much going on and it's like how and yet it still works it's so fascinating that it still works like the bit where the aliens are giving them a message and they have to wear these weird 3D glasses which are literally really really awful looking bits of bubble wrap with lenses in them like but everyone looks really stupid and so they're listening to this really serious thing about how you know we're going to cause nuclear war and you're going to be destroyed and then also some of them start arguing and and they're like so they're having this like argue you know passionate argument and then 
Buckaroo Bonsai is telling them off whilst looking like a complete idiot. And then you've got all these different character moments like Clancy Brown's character. I think it's Rawhide. Like he goes, there's just this little bit where he goes, oh, bl- bloody aliens. And then his mate pats him and goes, uh, take it easy, Buzzy, buddy. Don't don't go crazy. And it's like, he's not at all, but it's like so, so funny and weird and deadpan. And it's jammed in there with all of this other stuff. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting with Ellen Barkin because, I mean, I really have always loved her. And um, she basically is playing the exact same character that she plays in Down by Law, which is like another amazing 80s um, Jim Jamash film. Totally different to this completely. In some ways, I can see actually some some off kind of uh, similarities. But yeah, it's like she just plays the kind of screamy, upset girl that kind of s- smashes shit up and... She does it in like two, two or three scenes where she just does the same thing again and again. And for these kind of films, often, I think nowadays, I was expecting like a strong female character to come in somewhere. Um, and it was, yeah, it was very much a product of a time that there wasn't like a captain or a general that was female came in and, you know, did some good badass mm-hmm. shit. Like... I think I think it was quite interesting how um, ethnicity, like you know, the uh, one of his kind of chief scientific people is this kind of uh, Japanese scientist dude that also worked for John Lithgow's character, and I love the black kid, like with the machine gun. He was fucking awesome. Mm. <laughs> There's like it's, it is. Um, what was that family doing there? So they were the um, they were the blue blaze irregulars. So they were like his fan club. Who who it's all they're kind of like the Boy Scouts and the and the territorial territorial army. Like if you're a fan of his Buckaroo Bonsai, you can join his fan club. And then if he's in trouble, he'll get you on the radio so you can come and help. Yeah. So like they come and rescued him in the helicopter. So weirdly, I totally understood all of that without really realizing it. And that's what I think this film's all about: is just mm. kind of buy it and go, okay, yeah, sure. There's a kid with a radio, and his dad's got a helicopter, and he's got a machine gun. Cool. <laughs> I mean, I got it. They came to help. I was like, "Who are these people? How are they scientists?" <laughs> <laughs> There's so much going on. You're like, "Of course, they came to help. Yeah, let's go. Let's do it." And I think I lo- it was a grenade launcher. I think the dad got a rifle, but the kid had like a grenade launcher. That's what I, I, I thought, found funny. Another another weird thing I loved when there was like. So Buckaroo was chasing when he first does the press conference and then he's chasing those aliens and he runs down this corridor and then there's a guy who's like rolling out a Harley. And I was like, why is there a guy in a corridor with a motorcycle? And I just was like, that's so weird. And then obviously in the next shot, you see Buckaroo jump onto a Harley and ride off. And I was like, of course. (laughs) Oh, but did you... Did you notice that in that scene, there's like a voice? There's no people there, but like a voice <laughs> yeah, in the yeah. is like, "No, wait a minute, you can't ride that." And then another voice, <laughs> yeah. no, no humans there. You can't see anyone. Another voice from the distance. It's Buckaroo Bonsai. <laughs> there was there was there was another great bit like that where it was the Jamaican kind of dude, and he's like about to knock on Buckaroo bonsai's house and you could just hear someone off camera going cool jacket hey 
what's in that pink box? Yeah, it's yeah. Like completely, like, totally the same thing. Like, I think there's loads of like random shit like that. But I think I'll, if I watch this film many more times, which I probably will, um, there'll be more things that I pick up on that are just weird and off key. It's got, I think I did, it's, go on, sorry, Luke. Well, I was just going to say, I think it's got a lot of quotable lines. I think that why that's it's that's why it's such a cult success because you can just make you know you can quote something from it and if somebody else knows it they'll laugh like when buckaroo Banzai says he says uh, i was i was ionized but i'm okay now and it's like just this and he delivers it so deadpan it's like you can just say that and if somebody's seen this film they'll crack up at it i love that he kept being he was ionized throughout the film that was fucking great that was awesome every time someone touched him they go whoa and then they just carry on yeah, or because that that's what lets him see the aliens, and I love that bit where they make a thing that you can breathe it in, so you can see the aliens in their true yeah. form, and and um and Jeff Goldblum tests it out, like his expression where he sees yeah. that guy, yeah. he's like this Jamaican guy with dreadlocks, and then he sees he's like this bug-like alien, and it, but his face is just like, oh my god, <laughs> which is what you would be like. Have you guys seen? Um, oh, they live. Oh my god! Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. One of my favorites of this all time. This film, some parts of it really reminded me of They Live. Just you know that I don't know what it is about eighty style films. I'm not quite film literate enough to describe what it is about the technicalities, but just how the action moves forward, and then suddenly you're you know in a warehouse, and there's fifty aliens, and you have to like run through a secret cupboard door. Okay, why not? I don't know why. Inhale this thing. For some reason, they live is so much higher for me. Like that to me is like a complete masterpiece of like filmmaking. It had a more succinct storyline, didn't it? Yeah, I guess that's partly to do with it. And just, yeah, Mm. I think it was more crystallized. The idea and the batshit craziness of it was more crystallized and. Whereas this was a lot more just kind of throw everything against the wall and yeah. just whatever. And it's got it's got like a message or a th- or you can call it a thesis underneath they live, which is about corporate control and advertising and stuff like that. Whereas Buckaroo Banzai is definitely not that. Like there's not <laughs> there's not there's not a message. Like I'm not surprised that it didn't go. Re- it's like a bit like Big Trouble in Little China, where there's all this like really cool you know cool stuff going on. But it's but then when you turns out the it director to stuff wrote like, also wrote. Big trouble, little China. Yeah, yeah. So there's a definite connection, but it's like, um, but if you look at things like Alien, those films have like a simple through line, and you can show it to pretty much anyone who's not a fan of sci-fi, and they can still understand it. But with this, it's like there's so much going on that if you're not familiar with like the tropes of sci-fi, you you pro you, I can imagine people just switching off and being, I don't get what. Yeah, I couldn't show this to my dad. I don't think he'd be yeah. down with this film at all yeah but it's so fun and silly yeah i think there's so much in there maybe that's what they were trying to do is that for people who are not into sci-fi they threw in all the other fun silly millions of you know side things that aren't sci-fi like the romance story (laughs) yeah i think it's like it's it could almost be like with some with a few tweaks it could be 
like it could be something else because the so the cinematographer like for the beginning of the film was Jordan Cronenworth who most people would know for Blade Runner so and he he was the one that did that the nightclub scene which I think you can see but then they the for whatever reason they replaced him uh, and I don't think I think a lot of a lot of the sort of shooting of parts of it is a bit perfunctory like it's you know the bit where he escapes in a helicopter it's sort of like you know it's there and it happens i think it's sort of missing it's hard to tell sometimes it's like some bits are a bit too dry and it's like i don't know if it's meant to be funny or if that's just or that's weird like when the aliens land and then one of them climbs out of the pod like one of the good aliens climbs out as climbs out of his ship and then he trips over and bangs his head and he dies and then the guys <laughs> like who's still trapped in the ship like it's all broken up because they've crash landed says like oh john john so-and-so is dead he fell and banged his head and it's like that's his report yeah. and it's so weird it's that i find that hilarious but also i'm not sure if that's meant to be or if it's just I think really, it is. yeah but i think it's to be... i found it really just because of the delivery of that alien <laughs> but also the the way that he said it like oh jack and jill went up the hill to fetch a pail yeah, of water yeah, yeah. And it rhymed too. It was like John John Ed is dead. He bumped his head. Yeah. Sad. I'm sad now. But then I think they're a ridiculous fucking mask. (laughs) (laughs) All of those masks were like customly made for the person's face. Like they were all individual. Like so all of the aliens, they cast their face to make like an individual. It wasn't like a generic alien face. But I think because then you get like really obvious jokes like when the president decides to declare war and the general hands in this envelope and it's a form that says declaration of emergency declaration of war short form and it's (laughs) because that's the form you need to tick to you need the short one because you're in a rush and when the woman uh tells off the general and is like calm down and he's like all right yeah, and then the, and then what's the I can't what is it the general says something like he's he's he, he's like he's goes listen you know I'm a I'm a five star general and I've got so many um, awards but right now Mr President I'm shitting myself yeah, in, yeah, but yeah. In, I can't remember what he says but he says something really funny it's like I'm filling my kecks or something really stupid and it's like another thing where that's so random yeah. That's just the film. This is, do you know what, guys? To bring it back to present day, I felt when I was watching this film, like I was living through this sort of self-contained one hour and 50 minute mini pandemic, where in the beginning you're like, okay, tier one, tier two, tier three. Okay, 10 minutes later, oh, there's a tier five. Okay, sure, now there's tier five. Okay. Um, School is closed, school is open, school is closed, school is open, unemployment, and I'm getting a check. No, I'm not getting a check. Okay, now I'm dating people through my telephone. None of this is real. What is going on? Um, it was kind of how I felt sometimes when so I was are watching you, it. Are you actually saying that right now, somewhere out there, Buckaroo Banzai is trying to solve this pandemic? Of course. He, he probably is. Yeah, fucking hurry up. What's going on, Buckaroo? I thought you were a genius. <laughs> this is a challenge, Buckaroo. Come on. He's probably got a gig somewhere out there in the universe. Probably. He probably wants to solve it just to, so he can gig again, just so he can get some dates going. <laughs> Release the new album. 
Yeah. Uh, the Hong Kong Cavaliers <laughs> are back. I really can't believe that that band hasn't become a real band. You know, I'm sure this... they must be. <laughs> Do you think? Oh, we should there look must be up. some, yeah, there must be some Hong Kong Cavaliers like out there. Yeah. Jeff Goldblum, he plays jazz piano, doesn't he? Yeah. And he could dance, as we found out in the film. Yeah. <laughs> and sing a little bit. Oh, such a good scientist. Says so many words. So good. <laughs> very quickly. I mean, like, so that his first kind of um, scene was very science. And then the scene where he's in that ridiculous cowboy outfit and he's talking all this science jargon. And I was like, oh my God. So Steven Spielberg just stole this entire character and just put it him into a leather suit and put him in Jurassic Park. Like it's the same character. It's the same guy. Sam Neill in Jurassic Park. What do you mean? Jeff no, no, no. Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum. Maybe that's what he does in all of his auditions. And so they're like, yes, this character will fit nicely. <laughs> it's realizing getting he does Jeff. it in every movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I did a... Um, so my Jeff Goldblum story is that I did... Um, so when he was doing Speed the Plow with Kevin Spacey in London... They did a bunch of like master classes and I got to do a bunch of them. And I did one with Kevin Spacey, which was great, even though he's an evil guy. But um, and then I did the directing one as well. So the, the Spacey one was acting, and then the assistant director of the play did like a director one. And then she was like, Oh yeah, Jeff Goldblum might stop by. And oh. then he did. And then he spoke in the <laughs> most incredible Jeff Goldblum way for like an hour. And it was it was truly spectacular. Like literally, he was just about to go on stage, and like all the kind of stage managers were like trying to like escort him out. And he was like, he was just having such a good time talking to us. And there was one bit where he was talking, and there was a fly buzzing around his head. And I was looking around the room trying to see if anyone would notice, and no one did. And then there was a bit where he batted for a second at the at the fly, and I nearly lost my shit. And no one, no one was there. No one, no one clocked that amazing bit of intertextuality there. What a disappointment! And he is in person as Jeff Goldblum as he is on screen. Like he's literally exactly like that. It's amazing. He's just the stream of consciousness genius. Living the dream. Oh my god! Yeah, he is definitely. Mm -hmm. Just walking around being Jeff Goldblum it must be great. He's got he's got that new show out that I really want to see. That's like him just sort of doing different things. So I'm in. What's that's all called? I need. Uh, I I don't know actually. Oh, the world according to Jeff Goldblum. Oh, it's because it's on Disney Plus. Yeah. So that's why I haven't seen it. But it's just him going and like. So episode number one is sneakers. Episode number two is ice cream. So it's just him going and investigating different things about that humans. is what i will be falling asleep to stone tonight call him Can't john wait. goldblum oh my god most i mean it fits that he was in that film because that film sounds as random as this television thing. <laughs> <laughs> well i think the ending of buckaroo bonsai completely captures the feel of it because it's just like they're walking around the top of a dam or something and then the music's playing and it's cool 
and they're just walking and they look really cool and that's it like and there's no yeah. but yeah. it's a perfect ending it's like sort of have at the end of a musical everyone comes on and does a bow but it's like they're walking and it's like i think it's good natured and it's quite charming as well which is that's what's really at the core of this and that's what's made it into a cult hit even though it's you know it's got some weird things and it's kind of bizarre and maybe it doesn't fully work as a film it's really good natured and it's really good fun i mean and that's something that people could do you know a lot of people are looking for nowadays i'm sure yeah i mean i totally switched off for the ending i wasn't that interested in everything that was going on like in that big warehouse i was kind of like I wasn't really with it. And then when it cut to him walking, I was in again. I was like, yeah, I'll watch Peter Weller and all his mates walk, walk, looking cool. Yeah, I had exactly the same. By the end of it, I was like, so much stuff has happened that my brain just sort of went, yeah, oh, I don't know. But then they come out and they're all the big team. And I'm like, yeah, that's what this film is about. I love it. Yeah. But the, the, even then, like, because because so I was watching it at the same time as Hannah, and we were WhatsApping about it. And then even though there's a bit where he's loading, it's just the bit where the bad guy John Lithgow is loading the ship to kind of go back home to his planet and take it over. And it's like the guy helping him, one of the le- aliens helping him, is wearing boxing gloves, and it's like such a random thing. And it's like some they definitely sat down and decided to do that and they're and all of the bad aliens are sitting around like bums like eating these big packets of crisps and just like slumming it in this massive like aero you know aeronaut fake aeronautics company and it but it's so like there's so much attention to detail and there's like a photo even inside his ship there's this gold framed photo of john lifko this completely because he's an He's an alien that's possessing the body of a human, so he does actually have a human body. But it's him leering insanely in this gold frame when he's hung it up inside his ship. And it's just such a such a detail, like it's filled with all these details. Can I and just ask, did anyone else, because you know you were saying about the fake factory, which is called Yo-Yo Dying something or other systems? Yes. Yo-Yo Dine Enterprises, I think. Yeah, Yo-Yo Dine Enterprises. When that name was introduced, all I could think was, why are they targeting Sensodyne? What did Sensodyne do? What is this about? That's all I could think of. Every time they said Yo-Yo Dine, I was like, what? Oh, this guy definitely has a beef. Like the melon thing. Anyone? No, just me. Okay, no. cool. No, I, I, I literally stopped. I, I pretty much kind of, I realized, for me, I don't know, I mean, maybe this is the wrong approach, but I just went, they're saying a lot of shit. I kind of get the gist of what's going on. Let's just keep rolling with it. And I think that's partly why I wasn't sure if I was loving this film or not until, obviously, The Watermelon. And then it was like, no, no, this is, everything in this is on purpose. I'm not supposed to understand all the technical jargon they're talking right now. Uh, and I don't care. And the film doesn't care either. So why should I? Well, I mean, this is the thing. Even that is a reference because Yo-Yo Dine is a literary reference. It's to it's in Thomas Pynchon's V, which he wrote in 1963. So, and it is, it's a, it's a fake aerospace industry company. But again, that doesn't have any kind of, it's not, it doesn't actually matter, does it? Like, 
No, not really. It's yeah. just like a name that's like because because that was a reference to their real not real live companies called like Gyrodyne and Teledyne. Because it's um because Dyne is a stand is a unit of force, so it's like something that you would use you would measure in propulsion, and it's actually in Star Trek. So Star Trek has even made references to Yo-Yo Dyne. Uh, I think from okay. Buckaroo Banzai. So it's like one of those like in jokes. I'm, there you go. Yeah, I'm just not a nerd enough to care about that kind of in joke. It's just like um, it's cute. But yeah, by that point in the film, I was just like, cool. The, that, that's a word that they're using. Great. Yeah, that is the word that they Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, you're right. I also must have picked up subconsciously about the John thing, because, yeah, I totally didn't try. and I wasn't at any point worried about which John are they talking about. Except Big Boutet. Yeah. You can never. Yeah, you'll never forget that. <laughs> Big Boutet. Wouldn't that anyone else? Big Boutet. But I love it when, when John Lithgow's character tries to deliver these kind of dramatic lines and he's just like, but Big Boutet. <laughs> you can't. You can't act through it. You can't do it. He's stupid. <laughs> He's just oh, having a blast, okay. isn't he? He's just having a great time. Yeah, he was like, he he went completely over the top in that. Like, he wasn't sure if he wanted to do it. And then he said as well in interviews that that's like the most over the top he's ever gone because, uh, but and apparently, apparently it was like, there was an Italian, I think it was like an Italian hairdresser or some like an Italian worker on the, on like in the studio that he got as a dialect coach. Like he was just this Italian guy working there and John Lithgow asked him to be his dialect coach for it. Cause I thought it sounded really crazy and over the top, but apparently he got an actual Italian bloke to. Oh no, no, no. It was crazy and over the yeah, top. Yeah, it really was. <laughs> <laughs> it was probably a guy who like couldn't hear the difference and was just like, you're speaking English and it sounds weird. Yeah, great, perfect. Oh, is it yeah, Italian Taylor? So right. Apparently, Italian Taylor. But yeah, I, I mean, no. I definitely think that sounds more like it was John Lithgow going, "I'm going to do the version of this that I hear, rather than try and actually do an Italian accent." Well, he's. I think if yeah, if he was I, speaking with a general American accent, he would sound weird as well, because like it's. I think that's part of it as well, because he's like when he's giving that speech, it's like, we, uh, electroids, will be going back to our uh, home. And he's pulling all these insane faces after every sentence he says. Yeah, he just, he has like quite a different um, sort of speech pattern and speech rhythm, which is, I think, one of the things that makes him kind of memorable. Like when you have a memory of John Lithgow saying a line, he does have a different way of speaking than a lot of other actors do. Yeah, who knows if that's something he does on purpose or if that's how it comes out of him naturally. It's probably natural. But I do remember that at the beginning of the film, when he first opened his mouth, that sort of the first few scenes, I really thought he was trying to do an impression of an Eastern European or like a Russian accent, which is why a little bit later it becomes Italian and I'm like, what is going on? I don't even care. Come on, John, let's go. Get crazy. Give it to me. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, oh. 
and when he when he's like flying his ship and then he takes his shoes off because he's got oh my God. things and his and there's like the feet you know fingerless um socks on and like his feet are absolutely filthy it's like that's there's no and reason that he has flying to do that. the ship yeah with, with his, his feet. dirty fingerless <laughs> sock yeah toeless sock feet yeah yeah that was might have been a little bit too much for me <laughs> but it's all those details of like why put that in and then then you have to go to the effort of like right so we need to like get exactly get, you know, black yeah. stuff and rub it on his feet to make him look like literally filthy like a homeless man who's been like walking through mud there's just so many of these weird things about his character um that it's almost like there's just there's too no there's not too many there's kind of a perfect amount, but it's so he's so consistently inconsistent mm. was what I got out of it. That you kind of it would be disappointing if things like that didn't happen. Because the very beginning of the film, when he breaks out of the prison, because I guess he's in a prison for the criminally insane. Well, it seems like uh, it's just like a, an asylum, it's just like a mental hospital. Well, yeah, but he breaks out of it by just going like, oh killed the main guard and I'm leaving. Okay, bye guys. And just walks out and it sort of makes you question why didn't he leave earlier? Yeah, because he had no reason to. He was and having he was a building, nice time in there. No, he was building something, wasn't he? I thought he was building that He's machine and he was like... Stuff. Yeah, but, but why, then, would, why would you do it in the mental asylum and then why not go to Yo-Yo Dine and join where who are literally man. getting money from the American government? Like yeah, he's making food. it out of like, you know, TV aerials and stuff. Go hang out with your Johns. <laughs> yeah, but he got, but that guy, John he got big to hang booty. out with... Um, it's Big Booty! With Mike from <laughs> Breaking Bad, which I was very happy to see him. Who's that? Mike from Breaking Bad. What character was he in the film? Uh, he was the, the guard... That was Mike. Oh, okay. Bad. Hmm. Really? There were actually yeah. quite a few sort of actors that you would recognize. Because yeah, Christopher Lloyd was great. In the few moments that he got without his mask on, he was great. He was big bootay, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course he was. <laughs> I, f I feel like there was some improv going on throughout the film. I feel like it, there was like stuff where they must have just in the moment done stuff because yeah, it was just so random and so like they must have been. It, they kind of just stuck to the script. I don't think. Mm. Yeah, because it was yeah, very I mean, playful. There was lots of playful shit going on. A lot of the deadpan jokes. I can't remember which one of us was saying that uh, sometimes the deadpan, it was like, is this really <laughs> yeah. all that stuff just reeked of like improv comedy, you know, when you walk into the definitely into the scene and just to communicate to the other person on stage because you're improvising what their character is, you just kind of say, Hello, Mr. Drug Dealer. <laughs> yeah. And like that's not how you would approach a drug dealer, but because you're improvising, you just have to give them the information. So I think a lot of the scenes for me felt like that, which I actually, I really love and enjoy. So. The missile, the attack 
they will immediately assume that this is an act of aggression and destroy America. We better do something. It was like, yeah, this is great. That's the only way. That's the only way to say that line for sure. What other choice do you have? Not awkward at all. <laughs> so well acted. What a gem. A national treasure. <laughs> Definitely. I'm down. I want to be in Buckaroo Bonsai too, for sure. Yeah, well, against the Crime League. So it does at the end promise there'll be a sequel, which again is just like they, they had no guarantee. They just said they just put it in there because they could. Um, they, But apparently in Oct, uh, August of this of this year 2021 the the novel the novel sequel is coming out written by the writer so uh, he wrote and they've, they've made comics they made a video game of it i think he wrote the novelization of it as well so because it's had like such a strong fan club and support it's had all these other things and so yeah later this year there's going to be the actual buckaroo bonsai published by dark horse i think it's going to be um versus the the crime league so so maybe they'll that'll get adapted into a film if it if the book is now you can't have anyone but peter weller play that part i just can't who's gonna play it you know what i mean it's they'll they'll find somebody they'll find somebody move over marvel it's coming who's um who played (laughs) scott pilgrim john Sarah? Nope. Sarah? Michael Sarah. Sarah. Michael Sarah. It's Michael Sarah. He's one of your favorite actors, isn't he, Hamza? I think he could play. Fucking don't <laughs> even joke about him. <laughs> I hate that guy. <laughs> Unless he's playing an asshole, because I think he plays an asshole really well, but like I, Penny I just Pretty's don't... gonna be Meryl Streep. <laughs> Another one of my favorite. <laughs> Another one of my favorite actresses. Um, no, I think like they just don't make Peter Wellers anymore. Mm. There isn't who's gonna who's that? Who can do that? Like no one. Everyone yeah. either has to have a wink. Like no one could play that and without putting a wink on it or making it shit somehow. It's the same as Kurt. There's no Kurt Russells anymore. Mm. They don't make those guys anymore. Like um, I think I think you say that, but I think what actually happens is that Hollywood has moved on to selecting a different type of actor, and so you don't see those actors anymore. I think they definitely still exist. You just they're not featured prominently in yeah, anything they just because be it's allowed. Stuff. Yeah, because I reckon Bill. Yeah, make- you're completely right. Because I was thinking like when Peter Weller is doing Buckaroo Banzai in the beginning, he sounds like Bill. Barbaris, who's been on this podcast yeah. a couple of times, and it's like actually, Bill. When you talk to Bill, he's kind of I can imagine him playing Buckaroo Bonsai. I Belgian, could see that, yeah, because the Belgian Buckaroo Bonsai. And if you look at like, um, because he's like kind of like like soft and considered, but also strong and kind of like gentlemanly is the word. Like, I I love watching this interview with Peter Weller when he was talking about RoboCop, and he's like he's like John Candy in interviews as well. There's this sort of like considered gentlemanly way of talking where it's like you know we're making a fine picture here and everyone's doing it it's like christopher lee as well and i think it's true that those people are still around and you find it in people like bill but yeah hollywood's looking for like who's going to be the next heartthrob spider-man or whatever or like justin bieber that's what i mean though when i say they they don't make them like that anymore because they yeah they're not like they don't select them 
exactly. Producers like, don't like them to be in blockbusters anymore. Like I was, I was watching uh, the other night. I watched for the first time. Um, it is called Black Caesar, which is like an old seventies black exploitation film. Incredible moments in it. It's not. It doesn't hold up like as a complete film, but it has like amazing on location shots in New York in the seventies in Harlem. It's fucking amazing, and. Um, I was watching it with my mate and we just, we were trying to think like, if you were to make a film like that now, who would you cast? Like what black actor that's like big right now would you cast? And there just isn't anyone manly enough as the guy, I forget his name, who plays Black Caesar. Oh my God, that's... Fred Williamson. Yeah. There's no one as man as manly as Fred Williamson that could pull that off um, at all. Um, and yeah, I think that's across the board. It's also a different time and there's yeah. like there's things that are appropriate to do and not appropriate to do. Like, I don't know if nowadays you could really have that Ellen Barton character where she just sort of throws herself against the wall and is like, no, leave me. I'm not important. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we just don't see women that way anymore, but you see it and you're like, yeah, of course it's the eighties. Why not? Yeah, this is not yeah. valid today. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just not interesting. Like the Ellen Barkin character was just after the first scene, she really wasn't at any point. Did you did she have anything? That's that's the you know that's yeah. why we've changed it because it just wasn't good. It's just like yeah, drained the film of any energy. I mean, it was nice to see her, and I actually enjoyed seeing her doing something totally different to my favorite role of hers is actually when she's in drop dead gorgeous um Never playing kirsten, kirsten dunst's mother and she's sort of this like drunk older woman who's single and uh lives in a trailer in a trailer park and one day their trailer blows up and the beer can melts onto her hand Oof. And so, and so the rest of the film, they kind of spend telling her to see if there's any beer left in the can and to calm down. Um, so it's like, it's nice to see her doing something else. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't rate the character. She, she, there was not much she could do with it, to be honest. Yeah. I think that's where if there was a remake, there's an opportunity to make that more interesting. Um, but I think we're, we're coming up on time talking about the, uh, joyous cacophony of ideas that is Bakudu Bonsai, uh, Bakudu Bonsai's adventure, I know, the adventures of Bakudu Bonsai across the eighth dimension. Um, so any final thoughts? I, I think we should end by picking our um, Hong Kong Cavalier code names. Uh, mine's badass. <laughs> Mine is he already knows. Patrick Hanna. Pat. Patrick Hanna. No, Hat Trick Hanna. Oh, I love it. That's Hat-trick awesome. Hanna. <laughs> what um, about Luke? I don't know. I haven't thought about it. I've I've shot myself in the foot here. I've been <laughs> completely unprepared for, <laughs> you froze for my own question. But luckily, um, I think I'll call myself spontaneous Bean because I always have the right answer. There you go, boom. Well done, me. <laughs> Well done. And so 
that's it. So yeah, I recommend Buckaroo Bonsai. Like if you want to have fun and you're up for just random stuff, it's very it's very charming. It's surprisingly charming. Yeah, I recommend it too. I think it's a bit racist against interdimensional aliens, but other than that, <laughs> I'm down. Against the ones I've choice. met were much nicer. I'm going to be straight with you. They were much nicer. 